Hey everybody, welcome to Beyond Sunday uh, from Cornerstone Fellowship. Uh, I hope you got a chance to watch um, this last weekend where I got a chance to have uh, a conversation with uh, our worship director, John Roscoe, and uh, he was able to uh, unpack a lot of things. It was, it was a really heavy service. Um, it was a really heavy conversation. Um, but it was really powerful and John's story is so compelling and the way he was able to uh, weave in the history of black people in this country with his own story, I think um, was really moving and enlightening for a lot of people in our church. I've heard from a lot of you that um, have spent time sitting with it and a lot of texts or emails from people that are like, hey, I just finished it and I don't really have a lot of words right now, but I'm really glad you guys did that or you know, John was so incredible or whatever. Um, so I know it's like churning us up, um, but this is Beyond Sunday where we go a, a little uh, deeper or we go off on tangents together. And that's why I've invited my buddy, Ryan uh, Rucker to be a part of this conversation. Um, you saw Ryan and his story as a part of the service. Um, and so, yeah, say hi to Ryan, everybody. Or I guess Ryan, you say hi. The people can't talk to you right now. <laughs> What's up? Yeah, I don't think so, but that's all right. I'll say hi. Yeah. And so what we want to do today, uh, both Ryan and I uh, want to just talk through um, some of the responses that we're seeing um, from people as they're trying to place themselves in this story, um, mostly um, white folks who are trying to figure out, wait, what's going on here and what am I supposed to say and how, how their work processing through their own feelings or they're trying to figure out how they can be helpful or what complicity they have there's a just sort of the emotional journey that they're on and in the service um i talked a little bit about how um our brains sort of work against us as white people in this moment because we have told ourselves a story of what america is and who we are and the progress we've made um for, for towards equality in this country and and how hearing these very contemporary stories from microaggressions all the way to murder and everything in between, um, how it violates that story and how it, it, how it sort of uh, compels us. It, it, we have a bias towards pushing back and a bias towards minimizing because our brain is telling us like, no, 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 no. You already have like a, a narrative of the world. You already have a structure that sort of like works for you. And that is, you know, yeah, slavery was bad, but then MLK and then the civil rights movement and then Barack Obama and here we are and like now we live in a post-racial society where everybody's happy and good and and that narrative I think worked for a lot of white people and helped them order their worlds and now hearing these stories they're like wait a second if I'm going to accept your story that means I have to reject the story that I've been telling myself and so what I'm seeing is you know a lot of folks that are are trying to push back or they're frustrated or the, and it's kind of Sometimes it's well, well intentioned. Sometimes it's not. Um, frankly, Ryan and I aren't really going to talk to trolls, or you know, if you're if you're in this to 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 try to tell anybody that racism isn't real, like you're you're so far from where <laughs> what the truth is that like I, I'm not sure that this conversation is going to be super helpful to you. But if you are trying to reconcile new information and trying to figure out what your role is now that you've seen and you have that feeling of like, okay, now that I have seen, I am responsible, but I feel very behind. Uh, I've got voices in my ear telling me one thing and voices in my ear telling me another thing. I don't know how to, 
then hopefully this conversation will be helpful for, uh, to you. So the, the hope is we talked about why people have the, the, in, the instinct to push back and minimize and, and what about, and actually both sides. And have you thought of you know, all those things that folks do um, and, and things that I've done in my own past. Um, and, but today we're gonna talk about how, like actually specific ways that we see people doing this. And we're gonna try to sort of talk through um, uh, maybe a, a, a more empathetic, Jesus-focused way to, to have these conversations. Um, cool. So why don't we start? I mean, I, we might as well just like get right into it. And like one of Let's the things go. that one of the things that I see is this um, this Black Lives Matter, and then this response from from almost always from white folks, which is all lives matter. And I want to start with maybe what you think you might be saying when you say that. And then Ryan, I would love to hear from you on like what maybe what you really are saying, whether you know it or not. And so oh, yeah. what you might be, what you might think you're saying when you say all lives matter is no, as a follower of Jesus, I believe that we are all equally loved and that we are all equally made in the image of God and that everybody is important to him. And to be so clear, that is absolutely true. That is part of the foundation of the gospel is that we are made in the image of God, that both Ryan and I and every other, the 8 billion people we have on earth are equally precious and important to God. Um, so that might maybe, especially if you're kind of new to the language of this moment, you might be thinking, well, wait, isn't that, isn't that the truth? Isn't, isn't it all lives? And so maybe when you see somebody say Black Lives Matter and you see somebody say All Lives Matter, you find yourself saying it. Maybe that's what you mean. But Ryan, let's just have like a conversation about maybe the history of those phrases and the context and, and what you actually are communicating, whether you know it or not. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to just uh, chat with some friends out in Livermore, um, you know, just about all of this. You know, Black Lives Matter, you know, as, as a phrase, those three words really came to prominence in 2014, um, you know, after, um, you know, around the time Michael Brown, you know, was, was shot and killed in, uh, in Ferguson, Missouri. And I know a lot of people know Ferguson, Missouri, they know Michael Brown. Um, but that's around the time in 2014 when those three words put together really started to, to make it uh, to make it the way around around the country, um, and then for the next couple of years, you know, really culminating in was it 2016 when Colin Kaepernick really uh, started taking a knee you know, against police uh, police brutality. Um, those two years were really pivotal, and so when people started saying Black Lives Matter, I know initially right out the gate there were a lot of well intentioned. Well, I don't know if I should say a lot, but there were some well intentioned people that were like, No, all lives matter. Mm -hmm. You know, because like in, in theory, of course, all lives do matter, especially like us as, as Christians. You know, if we are to follow Jesus, like we, of course, are to believe that all lives matter. So I know that there was a certain section of the population in 2014, maybe through 2016, that genuinely were like, no, like, all lives matter. Of course they do. But what people need to understand is that Black Lives Matter stemmed from the fact that Black lives do not matter. Like yeah, that's really where it originated. So at no point, at no point in this conversation, I'm not even gonna say a debate, um, and at no point in this conversation have we said Black Lives Matter more, Black Lives are the only Instead. lives that matter. Instead, like, 
and none of that was the case. It was all about equality. It's so almost like a equity. comma also. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. As well, as much. For sure. So you can go back and like in the history and like you are 100, you are not able to find a single time in American history um, where black lives have mattered, period. And I know there's some people who say, like, well, what about Obama? Well, you can also look at the rise of white nationalism that happened from the very second that uh that Oh, on the birther debate. D- debate. Exactly. Debate's the wrong word. The birther <laughs> conspiracy lie. Yes. And, oh. and accusing him of being a Muslim and like minimizing his Americanness from the jump. And you can't you can't yes. uh, separate that from the color of his skin. Correct, correct. From from the jump, that's that's what it was. So, you know, really in American history, you, again, you can't find a single period where Black Lives had matter. So now here in 2014, we were saying, no, Black Lives Matter. And I, I think, I know for me personally, um, and a lot of Black people feel this, like oftentimes we just get dismissed from the, from the outset. Um, I know there's been times in my life where acquaintances, friends, family, whomever, I've uh, just, uh, I've brought up some of my feelings in terms of like, hey, I know something you said, I know you didn't mean it to come across this way, but this is how it came across. And I know I have been dismissed outright. So again, Black Lives Matter in the response of All Lives Matter was just a complete, complete dismissal of really the entire argument. And it's interesting now because you're starting to see, you know, some prominent people from Drew Brees, I think Randy Orton, a wrestler this morning came out and said like, I, I understand what they mean now. And it's like, okay thank you thank you for being here i appreciate it but you do have to understand like our message has been simple from day one we haven't tailored any of it so i think people are starting to come around to it but um yeah that's where it comes from and then you have like the the whole blue lives matter too which like of course like i i'm in such a unique predicament because i i hate when people are go have a black friend but i I will say (laughs) say it my best friend growing up police officer the best man at my wedding police officer um and so when i say these like black lives matter i know that there's a certain section of people that are like well like no blue lives matter it's like well i'm not saying a no i'm just saying like certainly like we we all do um but at the same time from black lives like i i can't take off the skin i, I yeah. just can't this is who i am so wherever yeah. i go and regarding like blue lives of course if you're a police officer or a black man like whatever like i believe you have the right to life like i, I don't want to see anybody lose their lives um but there is a distinction because like you know when it comes to the blue lives like you you are able to take that off and additionally you have authority over others you know so when it comes to, like the whole like no blue lives matter it's like we're not saying they don't i'm not saying they don't because i believe that they do at the same time, you have to understand the context of this conversation. At no point have we put ourselves above above others. Yeah. We're just trying to get to equality. Um, yeah, we weren't even trying to debate. We weren't trying to start a fight. We were trying to, and I have to say we, I'm, I'm sort of, probably shouldn't say we yeah. here. The point, I, what I hear from folks is that we were just trying to assert the same level of, of uh, value that we already see America reinforcing and building structures around for y'all. That's all we're saying. And it's hard for me to separate all lives matter folks, um, from what I mentioned earlier, which is that, um, sort of rose colored view of what American racial justice has already, what the, the work that American racial justice has already accomplished, because it almost seems to be this like assertion, like, no, everything is fair, everything is good, we all matter, we're all the same, that's already true. 
which mm -hmm. inherently is is contradicting, minimizing you, you, the experience that Black Americans are trying to tell us, trying to say, mm -hmm. no, no, this is what our life is like right now. You might not realize it, but things are structured so that our lives don't matter as much as your lives. Again, I'm speaking on behalf of people that I'm hearing. I'm, I'm, yeah. And so, and, and, and then what comes back at them is like, no, all lives matter. You're already there. What are you complaining about? And it's this, it's this gaslighting process, which is basically saying, no, 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 your lived experience isn't true. This is America, the land yes. of the free, the home of the brave, and everything's beautiful and perfect here. And then, yeah. and sort of like, and then you, a lot of times you hear like the same folks and maybe we could digress into this a little bit is like, uh, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this because this is actually, this would actually be directly addressing the trolls, but a lot of times that comes with, and if you don't like it, well, then you can leave. And if you don't, oh, cool. it's sort of like, yes. if you're denying the America that I think is the real America, well then go, you can go find somewhere else to live. For sure, for sure. And I'll, you know, kind of digress on this point too. Like I, by no means is this historical data or any kind of data. It's just like in terms of what I've seen, I've never seen somebody post Blue Lives Matter and have them responded to by saying, well, no, all lives matter. Like personally, mm -hmm. I've never, ever, ever seen that. But I've seen and I've experienced me saying yeah, Black totally. Lives Matter and getting the no, all lives matter or no, Blue Lives Matter. It's like, so that I think is just an interesting uh, juxtaposition that I've seen, um, which is a whole nother topic, but anyway. Just but it feels to me to like there's two, there's two options for like what could be going on in people's brains. And the, f the friendliest one is what I mentioned earlier, which is no, 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 you don't realize how great it already is. Can you please just open your eyes to how wonderful America already is, which is false, but it's not as bad as the second alternative. And the second alternative is something about you claiming equality with me threatens me. Mm -hmm. Something about that doesn't feel, doesn't feel right to me. And you should be grateful. You should be happy for what you have. And you should, mm -hmm. you should kind of stay where you are and quit making so much noise. And it is, and it, it really goes back to, you know, even slave periods where there were certain slaves that like, you know, were in like the bigger quarters, you know, of, of the homes and maybe you got like the, uh, the better portions of food and like even even now I know Latasha or like house her, versus like, field yeah exactly all those different yeah. things and like there were these people who were, were kept in in slavery quite frankly but they didn't have it as bad as those people I know even me like I've you know I saw family members the other day say like well like you know things are better than they were in the 60s it's like it's this whole thing of like you know like well be grateful for where we are right now and and let us come around to it when when we feel comfortable not and civil discourse has never been about like your comfort quite frankly Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the videos that somebody sent, uh, sent in to uh, sort of say, hey, you told us to do our own research. I found this video. And w one of the guys in the video is basically, um, and uh, maybe why don't we talk about this? Uh, I want to talk about conflating progress with completion, um, which is like sort of what you just, what you just referenced. Um, but but he, uh, in the video, he basically says like in 19, I'm going to get the stats a little bit wrong, but it's like in the 1950s, only 12% of Americans thought that interracial marriage was okay. And now 80, 84% of, or 80, whatever, 85% of Americans think that um, interracial marriage is, is okay. And he kind of said like, see, and I was just like, can we talk about what a terrifying indictment of American culture that is? Because what you're saying is one in six Americans. Ryan doesn't mm -hmm. think that your marriage, which is an interracial marriage, 
yeah. is okay. One in six. Yeah. So look around, go to any public place. And I'm not saying this isn't statistically, <laughs> it doesn't work this way. Like yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't just find six people and go, I know for sure one of you is not okay with this, but I do, but, yeah. but it helps you if you go to like, if you're in the line, the drive through and in and out and just go, okay, there's 24 cars. If four mm -hmm. of those cars thought that it wasn't okay for a black man and a white woman or a black woman and a white man to get married, would I think that we've made it as a, or could I imagine that there's still some deep seated racism in America? It's like, of course. And they, folks do the same thing with Oprah or they do the same thing with Barack Obama or they do the same thing with mm -hmm. athletes, LeBron, like people that have made it and made lots of money. They mm -hmm. take, uh, it's called survivorship bias, where you 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 try to create a whole um, narrative out of the one exceptional um, example. Or there's mm -hmm. the the person you hear you hear folks talk, even even black folks will talk about like, yeah, I made it out, and here's why, and here's how. Yeah. And it creates this narrative of like all it takes is hard work, which which feeds that white person narrative of oh yeah, America, personal responsibility. Uh, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstrap, the American dream, it fits really neatly in that psyche. And so they want to believe, they hear it and they go, yes, that's what I want to be true. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And quite frankly, it's, it's not true, you know, especially mm -hmm. like, you know, let, let's talk about black cultures. Like there's, there's this code. And again, this isn't scientific, but this is one of those, you know, um, one of those things you, you have to, or you, you more understand if, if you're, relatively familiar with with hood culture or like you know uh like black culture you know like when in like rough neighborhoods like i'll use like derrick rose for example so derrick rose uh former or well, current basketball player uh, point guard played for the chicago bulls uh when he was coming up in chicago you know he he grew up in south side of chicago which i'm sure a lot of people would hear of when they reference you know chicago crime um he, he was right in the thick of it and you know he, he is somebody who 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 made it who made mm -hmm. it out but one of the reasons he made it out is because there was a culture within some of these neighborhoods to protect those who have the best opportunity to get out uh, mm -hmm. in part so they can come back and lift up the entire neighborhood. So like that's an entire like culture within like some of these like really, really rough neighborhoods um, to take care of their own so they can get out and, and help them because nobody else is coming to help them. So even those who have quote unquote made it, um, the entire code in terms of how they even made it to begin with is so messed up, quite frankly. Um, so yeah, it's just, <laughs> so when people talk about like, you know, those who, who bypass it, even me, like I'm sitting in my own home and sometimes I, I sit in this backyard and I'm still like, you know, I, I can't believe I, I own this. This is crazy. And I think there are people in my life who, you know, probably think that like I beat racism um, to be yeah. clear, I've never had anybody say that specifically, but, um, you know, at the same time when I'm driving, no matter what car I'm in, you know, like I'm, I'm still subject to any of the same fears that a lot of black people have. Um, you know, if I'm out shopping, if I'm in the grocery store and if I walk out with anything, like I'm subject to the same glares that anybody would get, um, elsewhere. So th there, there is no beating racism. It's not like mm -hmm. I hit you know, what was what was that code back in the day? It was like up, up, down, down, like whatever. It's not like A B A B st start select. Yeah. yeah. Konami code. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you don't click that and you go like, voila, Ryan, you beat racism. Like now yeah. feel free to go go about your life uh unharmed. That's that's not a thing for us. So no matter where you are, we still are subject to, to the same discrimination yeah. that anybody else is. No, and you see that too. I even see it when, you know, an athlete will speak out about something or, you know, anybody who's achieved success will speak out about something. 
it's almost like, it's almost like, oh no, you made it. So you don't get to complain and it's not real because your life is great and you have more than me. And actually I'm kind of jealous and threatened by the fact you have more than me, yeah. but that's a conversation for another day. But, but then the people that, that are still, you know, in the South side of Chicago or in Livermore or in wherever that like mm -hmm. haven't made it to whatever degree that, that we're, we're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. we're not hearing a lot of those voices. And so it's basically like the people with the platform don't get to say anything because they're lucky and they should, they should feel lucky and keep their mouth shut. And yeah. then the people without a platform, we don't hear their voices. So whose voices are, whose voices are we supposed to hear here? Yeah. It's, it's all just a version of trying to mute the entire conversation because it makes them, makes people feel uncomfortable, quite frankly, yeah. uh, because you, yeah. you hit it head on. Like if you, if you're, if you're poor, like you can't dive in because like you, you don't know what success feels like. If you, if your success, like you've got that success, you know, from, uh, from means that should allow you to, to bypass it or not be upset. Like if you're LeBron, or just be grateful approaching. Oh yeah. If you're approaching yeah. like billionaire status, like, you know, like LeBron James, another NBA player, I'm a huge basketball fan. That's a lot of my references. Um, you know, it's like, well, you made your money from Nike and from McDonald's and from all these different things that have like, you know, white people on the boards and all these things. It's like, yeah, I, I still got a voice though. And mm -hmm. I can still, I can still speak about these issues because I grew up in it. I've got a lot of friends that are still in it. Um, and it's just, it's a bad faith argument to just get the issue to go away. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that speaks to, um, to the core of a lot of these, these, the pushback that you, you'll see here is like, what's really like the heart of this thing is that it just, it makes me so uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. some of that will be very personal. Like I don't want to confront the idea that somehow generationally I have benefited from this structural injustice. And that's, a, I think a very deep core level part of what's going on. And also it's just like, wait, I thought we were done talking about this. I thought we did it. And, and I don't, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. Everybody just fights. And so it's kind of like MLK has that amazing quote about a negative piece versus a positive piece where he says, we're pursuing a positive piece, which is the presence of justice versus a negative piece, which is the absence of conflict. And sometimes I see white folks pursuing that absence of conflict where it's just like, well, can't we just talk about something else? Can't we just, even like people that aren't actively, you know, uh, trying to hold the movement back or whatever are just like, yeah, but do we have to fight so much about it? Do we have to talk so much about it? Can we just, and, and to me, I, I see a lot of that same um, energy coming from folks who, who might really in good faith, and I mentioned this at the top, but I want to talk about it a little bit more here, um, say like, no, I don't really see color. I don't, I treat everybody the same with the same love and the same, some people will do it in bad faith, but genuinely, I see a lot of people who just, they actually don't understand um, maybe what they're saying. And the empathy that I have for them is that as, as a culture, this conversation has progressed. And I actually think there were pretty dominant voices in culture in the 80s and 90s that were saying, no, 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 we're past all this. And so- Yeah, you're right. And so they heard that and they went, oh, okay, this is even like a well-meaning white person is like, oh, okay, this is how we're supposed to, you know, this is what we're supposed to say. We're not even really supposed to talk about race. And I was having a conversation with, with someone very close to me who was saying, I even remember when you weren't even allowed to like reference somebody's race. Like that wasn't like when we were playing pickup basketball. You wouldn't say, all right, I got the black dude. You got the white dude. Like, yeah. like even that was like, no, 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 don't say that. And it was, it's all of a piece with, we don't even talk about race because 
because we're, we're sort of past it. And so uh -huh. can you just talk a little bit, Ryan, about what, I don't know, maybe even if someone means well by that, which I think a lot, I, I know people in my life that do mean well by that, why that's not far enough. For sure, for sure. I, I love the, the colorblind, colorblind conversation uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, because I do think that some of it is rooted in, you know, in genuine goodness. I, I think there are some people that just want to see equality across the board and they use that as colorblind, um, which like, I don't know, like I, I certainly don't want to, say look that that's fine because i think we can still do better um it's funny a friend of mine actually on one of my posts uh, a couple weeks ago he had something he was, he was a white dude and i love the guy love the guy and he had said something relating to being like colorblind and i was like i don't want to blast the guy like on facebook that's, that's not my goal and so i you know responded and was just like how oh, we need to accept it and this and that you know a, a friend of mine who uh <laughs> didn't know him um and is very much on the same page when it comes to you know as i am when it comes to just like the whole like don't say you're colorblind she had kind of like lit him up and i was like uh but hey i mean like what she said was accurate yeah <laughs> but and anyway I just, I just stayed out of it i was like between those two but um yeah so being colorblind it's it's seeing color is a good thing mm -hmm. you know like if you're you know and i'll just at the basic level if you are driving down the road and if you see a red light and a green light, one, it, it's, it's good to understand those differences. And same thing if our kids are approaching the oven. If, uh, oh, sorry, this thing is flying over. Uh, if our kids Ryan see, in the middle of a hurricane here. I know. Ryan, you yeah, look like that. Be... Right now, you're like that, that news reporter who's like, coming to you live and stuff's like blowing behind. He's in this big jacket. <laughs> yeah, from my own backyard. Yeah, I'm just hoping yeah. that. Yeah, should be good. Anyway. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, you're good. All right, sweet. Um, yeah, you know, if our kids are approaching the oven and the oven on the top is bright, bright, bright red, we want them to understand that seeing color is good because if you don't see color, you might touch it. And if you say like, oh, well, it's, all surfaces are the same, you might touch it and like really burn yourself. You know, so seeing color is not a bad thing at all. And when it comes to people, like seeing these differences, it's, it's, it's beautiful, quite frankly. Like, if, if we all are to, to believe that we are creating mm -hmm. God's image, that means every single one of us, there is something about God's image that is within us as individuals. Mm -hmm. So for mm -hmm. us to deny me, you, like our, our friend down the road, any single person on this earth is to deny an aspect of God. Amen. And I don't want to do that. You know, so when it comes to like the whole colorblind, like I, I want you to see color more than that, I need you to accept color, I need you to love color, mm -hmm. and I need you to fight against those who want to hate on color. Like, mm -hmm. that's really what it comes down to. So um, yeah. that's really where I stand there. And, and there's a really good book uh, by a woman named Jennifer Harvey uh, called, um, uh, what is it? Uh, something about white kids. Um, yeah, oh, great raising, title. Raising, raising, yeah, raising, <laughs> something about white kids. It's called Raising White Kids. And I'm actually reading it because, you know, my daughters are a quarter black and I know they're going to go into some spaces where some people don't think that they, they are like at all black. And I want them to grow up with an understanding of um, really a lot of these issues from a place of, of privilege, which I think both my daughters are probably going to have an element of, mm -hmm. you know, but it, again, it's just something to really be aware. Mm -hmm. And I know that especially in the sixties, the whole colorblind movement was born out of like let's all just like be equal and now yeah. I think we know a little bit more than we did 50 years ago so now let's let's see it and let's love it yeah
Yeah, dude, totally. And I want to come back to that in a second, but I do, you mentioned your daughter, so I do want to talk about them for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked in the past about how your daughter, Reagan, how old is Reagan? Reagan is three, almost four. Okay, so Reagan is so terrifyingly, mind-bendingly adorable. And like, I don't say this lightly, I legitimately think that Reagan's the cutest kid in my like personal orbit. She's so cute, it, it, it's off-putting. She's so adorable. I, don't, I can't look directly at her, it's like staring at the sun. And so I told you previously that I was really hoping that Sienna, your second, who just turned one yesterday or day before. Yeah, yesterday. yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, that Sienna was an uggo because you deserve that because you already have one. And I looked at the photos you posted yesterday and I was like, come on, how is she still so beautiful? No, you have have unfairly cute children. Anyway, though, back to colorblindness. I I appreciate that. Shout out to Allie for that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, So one of the things that I'm realizing is I sit with that conversation um, around colorblindness and I don't see color is that there's something uniquely um, pernicious and um, sort of like low-key harmful about white folks who, who traditionally, and, and you, you sort of have to accept this, it's just a fact of human, of American history, have been in the place, in the driver's seat uh, f- as a race mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from the, you know, the beginning of American history and frankly, uh, some other countries as well, but but um, at, at the beginning of American history, um, now basically saying, okay, we're going to give you your civil rights. We're gonna we're gonna give you some semblance of equality here. Um, but now we don't. We're not gonna, we're not going to talk about color anymore because mm-hmm. even that sort of reinforces. Um, we basically say so many of the things that we've created as a culture are created out of whiteness. And now we're even going to remove the whiteness from those things and just say that they're good. They're just good and they're part of America. And that's part of what like reinforces like low key white supremacy, which is saying, uh, uh-uh, no, 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 there is no, there is no color. There is no difference. Just all the things we've created are just, they're just good. They're just American. They're just, and so don't, don't try to be different. Don't try to show me anything that's different. Um, yeah. Yeah, especially when it comes to history. I think right now, like we're seeing it with a lot of people who are like pushing to tear down the Confederate statues, which I am 100% for. Yeah, um, but you have a lot of people that are like, you know, don't like, don't take away our history. And it's like, well, here's the thing. Like we haven't been taught all of history. Like, and that's, that's the, the biggest thing. It's like, yeah, if you, if you want to leave that up, like, okay, like understand what the Confederacy stands for in terms of, you know, succeeding from this country that a lot of people love, but I digress from that point. Yeah, yeah, let's um, put a plaque, let's leave that statue up. Let's put a plaque next to it that says, this man, blah, 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 whoever this guy was, um, yeah. hated the idea that black people were human beings so much that he was willing to die and lead thousands of other people into their deaths and leave the country that he was born into just to make sure that, that he and other people he knew could still own black people. Here's this guy. Do whatever you want mm-hmm. to the statue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I mean, uh, but you know, we we just we don't learn all of American history. And like I am a firm believer in understanding all of it, but um it's a lot of it is cherry picked, quite frankly. And quite frankly, you know, not only because like textbooks and history books are written predominantly by by white folks, but because like black people don't have an account of those history because A, we weren't listened to in the 1700s, yeah. 1800s, early nineteen hundreds, even now. Um, but B because like 
they they wouldn't even teach us how to read or write or anything like that. So like in terms of recorded history, like we don't have a lot of it, quite frankly, like we were listed as livestock, you know, or we were listed mm -hmm. right next to livestock when it comes to a lot of those uh, records of, of who we even were. You know, my mom actually, she, a couple of years ago was doing, and my mom is white, uh, so I'm half black. And my mom was doing research on like on her side of the family. I don't know if it was through one of those like genealogy websites. And like she went back and she was able to trace her family history or our family history back to like, I want to say the 1700s, something crazy. Hmm. Uh, maybe even the 1600s. It was like, it was a long time. Um, and then she tried to do, my stepdad, who was, who was also, who was black, um, she tried to do his side of the family and it like stopped at like early 1900s or maybe like early, or like late 1800s because they just didn't keep those records. So in terms of just like whole history perspective, a lot of our history doesn't exist. So if you want to teach history, learn history, great. Learn all of it. Yeah, exactly. Which speaks to where we started this whole thing, which is we've we've told ourselves a story of who we are, of who America is, and that trickles so deeply into our identity that mm -hmm. confronting these things feels like refuting things that I've already accepted as a part of our American identity, when in actuality, there's a, there's a mythology of America that continues to this day that's reinforced by a million structures and a million systems that tell us that we're the greatest country on earth. And basically, yeah, we made some little mistakes in the past, but we're past those now. And America's, you know, great and amazing. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's, you know, uh, part and parcel of, of why I, I see a, a, a gut emotional reaction to, um, to uh, from white people um, when black folks are speaking out and saying no, uh, uh, prophetically saying this is, this is what, the world, this is the world as it is, and this is the world as how it has been, and this is why this is unacceptable, mm -hmm. is you see like white folks like, no, 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 why aren't you, why aren't you grateful to be a part of this amazing thing? And then you see black folks saying, do you not realize that this thing has never been amazing for me? Like, yeah, like, how do you not, if it had been amazing for me, do you think I would be out in these streets? Do you think I'm just bored protesting? Mm -hmm. Like, do you think mm -hmm. I just don't have anything better to do? Like, do you think mm -hmm. I like being out here and no, like I'm trying yeah. to tell you that your, that your reality and my reality are different. And it's mm -hmm. correct. You, whether or not you believe that doesn't change anything about my reality. So I'm going to tell my story and I'm going to keep telling it until my reality changes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yep. Yep. And I think part of that too, uh, I only want to talk about this just for a minute, but I, I have seen um, some emails and just in some conversations with folks who are telling their story and they're basically saying, Hey, you know, I'm sometimes it's, I'm, I'm a black man or I'm a black woman or whatever, or, or more often than that, it's no, my best friend is, or my business partner is or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we've never encountered any systemic racism. We've never, we've, and, and it's, it's, it's given as a, as a refutation, it's given as a like, mm -hmm. no, 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 you guys are missing it. Actually, it's, it's great. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, there's this tendency. Um, and then sometimes there are some people online that are making videos that go viral, which is just basically saying, hey, here's the thing. Here's an explanation that doesn't make you actually challenge or think about anything. It's just, mm -hmm. you get to keep going the way you were going. And, and maybe that's from a black person or specifically a black woman, or, you know, maybe it's from, you know, somebody else, you know, but can you talk about like, uh, 
what it means to have discernment, what it means to like hear from the majority of experiences and how to not over-personalize the issue. And I don't know, I want to hear sort of your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, it's almost like one of those things where this is going to be a terrible reference, so I apologize in in advance. But you know, like if you if you if you're looking for like a like a great restaurant to take, say your wife on a date, and you come across this place, um, I'm not gonna, I I don't like Yelp. It's a whole personal thing. But if if you come across this place that has like four and a half stars, thousand reviews, four and a half stars, it's like on average, I was like, that's pretty solid, yeah. you know. But then if if you find one 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 star review that's like this place was terrible i had such a bad experience blah 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 it's like that maybe that's the case but that doesn't negate like a the overwhelming majority five star reviews yeah for sure it's like all right cool like that's that's valid you know and same thing on the opposite end like i guarantee like if you want to take your wife out to you know great anniversary dinner and she you know hops on you know whatever and sees it's, it's a 0.5 star or one star and she's like well, why would you take me here but you're like but look at this one review this one yeah. review is five star like they said it's awesome and they treat white people exceptional it's like whoa wait wait, wait uh, i don't know you know mm-hmm. um so again like you have to look at the consensus and i work in hr i've worked in hr for seven eight years and the whole thing is about like if you step back does it make sense mm-hmm. so you know i see it i'm not going to say the person's name but like you know you see some of these videos that go viral you know somebody that might look like me who's saying the exact opposite of what i'm saying right now and you know even right before this call i hopped on social media and i saw this one person i will not name um mm-hmm. you know their video was posted and i look at who posted it and it was not somebody that looked like me mm-hmm. um you know so it's it's really tough because i think some of us are sought out and quite frankly in some circles like there are there is there is literal money to be made i was just gonna say like, that dude yeah it's if, very if you look lucrative. like me oh for sure um and like you know i don't want to get too much into people's incomes because it's is what it is but like it is it's lucrative to look like me and say the opposite of what i'm saying right now um which is really really get a lot of clicks you're gonna get a lot of shares because it's for sure it's like what white person lizard brain wants to hear which is no 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 everything's fine all these black folks are just ungrateful or all of them have just been lied to or all of them are just have a victim complex or all of them whatever whatever Mm -hmm. explanation you can give that lets white people go okay good that's not my fault i don't have to do anything Mm-hmm. The white folks want that so badly right now that anything that will give them that is going to go viral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so, and, and there are and there are some like I, I know you know I, I'm probably even been like generalizing things like that, but you know I, I had a family member who posted you know that video, um, and every time he posts something, you know I, I'm wondering like, do you understand that like your nephew is black? Like, do you do you see me? And he doesn't, which is like we've met, like, right? You see yeah, this? like yeah. And it's it's really sad for a number of reasons, but um, yeah, he posted like that video too, and I just want to say like, all right, cool. Well, let me, your nephew, give you a totally different perspective, like that might not fit your narrative. Like, which one are you gonna believe? Like the one that fits your narrative or not? Um, and again, if everybody's saying it, then like, fine. If everybody thinks that like, you know, like we're we're playing the victim, like, oh, okay, but we're not. And you know, so just one person saying it, or two people saying it, or a tiny, tiny, tiny section of people saying that does not speak for the overwhelming majority of us over a 400-year period. I think you're what you're period. talking about, dude. You're talking about discernment. You're talking about like, 
how do I seek wisdom in the middle of this? And how do mm -hmm. I like listen well? And how do I listen with empathy? And it's, it's in a weird way. It's like when you're in a, in an argument with somebody or like maybe a significant other of some kind. And instead of like listening to their heart, you're looking for like the one thing that they like say mm -hmm. wrong or like my wife and I like, this is just me being terrible. I think I'm a little better at this now, but like early in our marriage, I was not good at this where mm -hmm. it's like, she would talk for three minutes and make 47 good points about mm -hmm whatever was going on that we were having conflict over and then she would say and and always or never or whatever some like overstatement of reality and then i would mm -hmm. just like pounce on that and then just say great let's make the argument argument about that now in the same way it's like i'm gonna listen to all of these voices and then i'm gonna find the one that like mm -hmm. says what i wanted to hear and then i'm gonna go that's the truth that's the only oh, thing sure. i'm gonna hold on to and that's what i'm gonna share yeah. And, and you'll find that all over. I mean, like even within like you can go through the 60s and find a number of like, you know, anti-protest signs that like, you know, you know, listed scripture, you know, in terms of uh, the reason that's, I don't know, black and white people shouldn't integrate and shouldn't marry. Like mm -hmm. there's, there, there's always going to be somebody who finds something to twist it um, into, into their belief. Like, you know, for basketball and diehard Indiana Pacers fan, if I just read Pacers blogs and they, you know, one person said like, I think we have a good chance to, to win a championship. If I came to you and said, Kevin, you know what? Pacers are going to win the championship. I read like, this uh, blog. Yeah. Like this one person said this. Yeah. So like, and here, yeah. here is the article, like check it out. Like Indiana Pacers with a Z dot net. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's <laughs> believable. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. Yeah. Um, there's a couple, there's a couple more things I want to hit. Um, mm -hmm. One is, uh, so I think that our brains, I talked a little bit how our brains were sort of like wired to accept a narrative. Now we've got a pattern. We're going to like sort of match everything. And that, that's like deep, deep, deep in our, the way our brains are like biologically wired. Mm -hmm. um, and that was sort of the setup for this whole conversation. But there's another thing and, and that I see, um, and I don't know how how deeply into like the the nooks and crannies of our brain this one goes, but I see it everywhere. So I'm inclined to believe that it has, that it sits deeply somewhere in there and feels right. Mm -hmm. And that's just like our desire to both sides everything. Um, mm -hmm. And we see it in our politics where it's like, well, this news site is bad, but also this news site is bad. Or this politician lies, but also this politician lies. And it's a way to create this like false equivalency where I mean, I've made this joke to, you know, a, a bunch of times. I think I made you on the phone the other day where it's like, yeah, getting kicked in the shin is bad and getting shot in the face is bad. Um, mm -hmm. They're not the same bad, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so it's not like this person lies and also this person lies. It's like, well, mm -hmm. no, like, yeah. yes, but no. And like, I, I think I see it here as well, you know, in this moment where, people because again we're we're so profoundly uncomfortable with confronting a narrative that doesn't sit right with us that we're looking for and so you're seeing people just like well if you're going to talk about you know systemic racism and if you're going to talk about police brutality and you're going to talk well then you got to talk about the way these protesters are acting when you've got to talk about how they've destroyed property or whatever and i just want to be super super clear i'm not standing here saying yay break windows or light things on fire i'm not that's not what i'm saying mm -hmm. but what i am saying is that I am saving all of my outrage, all of it, for the systemic dehumanization of my brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. That that's that's all. I don't have any left. I don't have any left for 
oh, but also this is bad. Well, but also I'm not, and that's not me saying it's good. It's me saying I have a limited amount of outrage. I have a limited, we all do, of emotional mm -hmm. capacity. And I know that what my brain wants to do, because part of, part of what that false equivalent, equivalency does is it allows us to stay exactly where we were at the beginning. Correct. So you go, well, this politician's bad, but this politician, but this politician lies, but this politician lies too. So they're both kind of, so I'm just going to go with the one that I already kind of liked in the first place and not do any hard emotional, logical, relational work to like get to maybe something so a little bit messier, but a little bit truer place on one side mm -hmm. or the other, or yeah. with what news channel I watch or whatever. And so in this moment, I'm, I'm seeing people go, well, yeah, there are some cops that are doing some bad things, but the protests are doing some bad things too. So, you know what, I'm really just, I'm really just sad about all of it. And it's like, no, that's not the place. That's not the place to land. The place to land mm -hmm. is like I said, like when, when, when someone in power, Derek Chauvin can do what he did to George Floyd or, or what the officers with Rashad Brooks or a million other like stories that are happening right now in real time. Mm -hmm. It's like when power and systems of power are exerting that power to dehumanize people that I love, that you love, that we should all love. And in the process, it's like denigrating what America was supposed to be and never really has been. That's mm -hmm. where we should be aiming all of our outrage. And so when I see, first of all, 99.99999% of these protests are just beautiful and peaceful and powerful and inspiring. But when I see people out in the streets, I'm like, that's, that's what they're mad about. And honestly, that's what I should be mad about. And I shouldn't really yeah. save anything for the, the, the few people that are whatever going too far. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, it's such a, such an interesting topic because like there is uh, such a need to, both sides everything um i think a lot of people are going through i think um you know i think there's even like some some churches that are going through it because like they don't want to um they don't want to come across as like you know taking favor on on one side or the other like i think there's some certain people that know that look oh man the systemic issue is like an issue this is systemic racism is, is an issue but oh, i don't want to alienate any like you know our law enforcement crowd or anything like that and i, I get that i'm 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 sympathetic to it because like i never want anyone to feel alienated point blank mm -hmm. um that being said when it comes to like you know this whole you know thing we even my wife and i we were actually asked by by our church to do this whole like hot topics uh conversation and one of the questions that we got was like you know how do we love on both police officers and protesters and i like really i took a second and looked at the question and i was like oh my god like what is what are they trying to get at like are is it what's the what's the root of this question and you know and i'm trying to come from like a biblical standpoint as well and you know sorry did some research um looked through the bible and let's see what it said and like god obviously gives like authority you know to, to certain people for a reason and like so if you're in a place of authority you know like you know god may have placed you there for a reason now that being said i think there's i off the top of my head i don't know like the chapter but in ezekiel they talk about they talk about the the shepherd and the flock and like it clearly states you know to to the shepherd like if the flock it, it like has gone astray if the flock is lost essentially if the flock is not doing well shepherd that's on you and so that's how i look at like that authority um versus 
I don't know, or law enforcement versus versus protesters. Like I have never, sworn, well, I am actually a parks commissioner, so I have been sworn in by the city of Vacaville for uh, <laughs> for being a parks commissioner. But as a black human being, I have never taken an oath to uh, be black to you know do anything, uh, anything. Period. But like if if you're in a position of authority, you have something over the others. Um, so mm-hmm. I've always seen it as like, it's, it's not necessarily equals. Like, of course, I don't want anyone to lose their lives um, at all, but we don't have the ability to really like get the other people like in trouble where they 100% have the ability to get us in trouble. And again, you can go through 400 years and see a history of black folks being incarcerated over the tiniest pettiest things and right now imaginary things yeah exactly exactly and quite frankly like there are are so many wrongful convictions i think there have been 1900 wrongful convictions since 1989 uh there has been a number uh, that we know about that we know about yeah the equal justice initiative which i know a lot of people have seen just mercy um you know that individual brian i forget his last name he himself has led over 140 um um he turned over, you know, 140 convictions. So there's a number of issues there. And to get back on the point, because I'm kind of rambling now, is that there is, it isn't both sides because both sides aren't equal. Like yeah, there totally. is clearly one side that has power over the other. And it'd almost be like, I don't know, like if, if my daughter was upset with something I did and I said like, well, like, you know, you, you really hurt me as well. Like I have authority over my daughter. So if she says something hurtful to me and I completely obliterate her day, like those two aren't equal because I have power over, <laughs> over yeah. her in yeah, that situation. Totally. So it's it's not two human beings in a disagreement. It's authority versus someone who's under that authority. And the same thing goes with, with law enforcement. And that has to be understood. That has yeah. to be understood. I'm not saying, a friend of mine actually walked with me on this like 25 mile protest walk that I did. Um, she was a police officer and she had told me this was the night before she was in Vallejo and had like a Molokov cocktail thrown at her as a police officer. And my heart broke because yeah, she is such a terrible person. I've, oh, for terrible. sure. I've known her forever. And it really, my heart broke in that instant. And whoever threw that, threw that, probably not a great person. I don't care what you're out there for. Like, you're, you're probably not a great person if you're throwing those things at, at other people. Um, you know, and it just, it really hurt my heart on a lot of different levels. Um, at the same time, like I would hope that people don't use that to completely dismantle my entire argument in terms of why we are equal justice because 100%. one, you know, idiot, idiot. Threw that. So yeah, uh, yeah. Well, let's let's. Uh, I want to do one more, and um, this is the one that uh, eats at me the most when I see it. Um, and so I want to sort of set it up, and then. I'll, uh, Ryan, I, obviously, I want you to jump in as well, but sometimes I see people, um, and these are the people, I think there are a few of the things we've talked about today that I really do think you can do in good faith, um, just not understanding what's going on here. This yeah. one is harder to imagine that happening. I want to try to extend grace, and so maybe, but it's harder to understand. So it, it's mostly like, I'm talking to the folks that are reading when this when these things will get posted by other people and think, oh wait, is that a good point or not? And I wanna I wanna sort of lay that out. And that's when um, someone will jump into one of these conversations about systemic racism and you know it'll say like, hey, 
you know, it'll start with like real facts that matter, which is like, hey, did you know that black people are almost three times as likely, 2.87 times as likely to be killed by police officers than white people, um, it, you know, per capita. And, you know, did you know that here's black household wealth versus white household wealth? And look, it's mm -hmm. like 10x different. And here's, you know, all these things where it's like, look, there's problems in the system and we need to figure it out together and we need to make changes. And, we need to, and then someone will come in and they'll cite like stats about black on black violence or they'll st cite stats about black fatherlessness mm -hmm. or they'll cite stats about black abortion rates. That's usually in the Christian community specifically. Someone will jump in and say something like that. Or other stats were basically like, hey, here's a statistic that paints, puts black people uh, in a really, paints them really in a really negative light. And, and what, it, what it either outright says or implies is like, no, 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 the problem is on that side. And when they go clean up their problems, then they'll, they'll get to participate in the wonderful America that the rest of us have. And so I'm not, I don't want to go down this too far, but I want to just like lay out like a, like a logic tree for you in your, in your brain. And so this is, this is what works for me. It's like, Hey, people group that is not me is doing something I don't understand or doing something different than me or whatever. That's the beginning. And so, th so then it's like, um, do I believe that they are doing this because of, for internal reasons, because they are physically, biologically different than me, or do I believe that they're doing it for external reasons? Mm -hmm. And if you believe that they're doing it for internal reasons, that's the literal definition of racism. You believe mm -hmm. that they are biologically different and inferior to you in some way. And if that's mm -hmm. what you believe, you are, please don't go to our church anymore. <laughs> I, I, I can't say that more definitively. If you genuinely believe that Ryan and I don't, I don't really think there are hardly any people in our church that think that I need to, I need to believe that in order to fellowship with these people. But if you genuinely look at Ryan and you think in some way he's biologically inferior to me, you are so far out of touch with the heart of God. Honestly, go find somewhere else. I don't think there's, I need to believe that almost nobody at our church feels that way. So therefore, the other option is that there are external forces in some way acting on this group of people that causes the group of people to act in a certain way. And I think it's important to think about this in groups, not in individuals, because sometimes we get caught up on an individual story and we say, well, why did that person make bad choices? And that person may have made bad choices, like hundred percent, they may have had made bad choices and, and they bear responsibility for the choices they make. But when we back up and we look at the group as a whole, then we can start seeing what larger forces, when you can sort of abstract it a little bit, how those are, how those are at play. So then if you go, oh, I believe there are external forces acting on this group. Well, welcome, because that's what we're saying. When we're talking about systemic racism, structural issues, that is what we are talking about, which is that there are bigger external forces acting. So I think what folks don't realize, and we could talk about what those forces might be, we're gonna talk about them more over the course of the series, but it's everything from government policy to the stories we tell in our media, both our like fictional fictionalized media and our news media to the way we're handling schooling to the way implicit bias affects the workplace and hiring. I mean, there's a million rabbit holes that we could go down here, but that's what we're talking about is that, that there are external forces. And so to sum up what I'm saying, when you cite the output, right, which is black on black crime or whatever, 
which to be clear, white on white crime, most, most groups hang out with each other. So most good mm -hmm. things happen between the same race and most bad things happen between the same race. There's more white on white crime than there is white on Latino crime. And there's mm -hmm. more Latino on Latino, of course, because we all hang out with each other. But anyway, without getting too far down that rabbit hole, when you cite the output without thinking about the inputs, what you are doing, maybe if you don't even realize it, or if you don't spend the time thinking about it, is you are engaging in outright racism, which is these people are acting a certain type of way because they are different or inferior in some way to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when it when it comes to a lot of those different things, like the struggle, it's so baked into the fabric of our DNA as a country. It's like it's it's tough to identify where like our foundation began and where like the systemic racism begins because it's all like intertwined, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Like going back, you know, 1776 and even prior to that, 1619. Um you know, it's I, I go back and forth. Like I had, um, there's a, a family member who actually the other day, I stayed out of this, this argument, trying not to get too much into the Facebook weeds, but, um, you know, he had referenced black on black crime, you know, and said like, well, this is happening in black neighborhoods. And then the very next sentence was, you know, we just, you know, once we all start treating each other the same and stop seeing color, like we can move past it. And I like I couldn't wrap my mind around this game stupid. of Twister that like he had to do to say like black on black crime but don't see color. It's like, well, which is it? Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> which is mm -hmm. it? You know, and even like even within like churches, like we we don't love to to hear this. Um, and again, I haven't researched this, but Latasha Morrison of Be the Bridge is somebody I, I really trust, and I trust her, her data. She mentions in her book that 92, I think she's a 92.8, or maybe it's just 92% of churches in America are segregated. And when I heard that stat, I was listening to it on an audiobook, I had I literally had to pause and go, like, did, did I just hear that correctly? Like 92%? And I think MLK said the most segregated place in America is our church. I believe it because believe it's, it. we have like majority white churches and we have majority black churches. And I think the way there's a way they sort of define where it's like a certain, unless there's a certain threshold, you know, mm -hmm. that like, it's not that it's not to be clear. I think Ryan, I don't want yes. to step on your point, but you're not saying we don't let black people in. No, it's no, no. We don't let white, it's saying, no, no, no. 90% of the church is, or whatever. I don't remember mm -hmm. the exact number is it's overwhelmingly yeah. white mm -hmm. or it's overwhelmingly black. For sure. We've done, For sure. We've done like, that in our churches. Yeah, like I'd say, like the church I go to is like overwhelmingly white. Like I, they, they still let me in, which is cool. Yeah, um, but like it doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, so thank you for clarifying that. Um, but with that, it just it really shows that there's, there's such an underlying issue, and even now, like this conversation that we're having. And Kevin, you and I have known each other for a year, so like it's different. But I, I'm seeing, especially within like within Christian spaces, a lot of black people showing up on some of these feeds, and I'm just wondering. I'm like is there like a retainer fee that like, you know, that some of these people are getting paid to just say like, you know, like oh, racism in, in America, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's in the news again. Let me call up so-and-so and let's have a conversation. Let me call up so-and-so, you know, and even very recently last night, I don't know when people are watching this, but last night, you know, I get on Twitter, I see Lecrae. Lecrae is a trending topic. And, and Lecrae's a, same. Can you tell us about who Lecrae yeah. is real quick? Yeah. Lecrae is, probably one of the most popular Christian rappers. He's got to be number is. one. 
he, yeah right yeah yeah i i would imagine um certainly anyway, i see him i like him i'm like oh cool like look crazy trending topic and i go on to see why he's a trending topic and i'm like oh no uh, it was because he was in a conversation much like we're having right now um but you know the 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 white pastor who he was chatting with i guess he was like a mega church i didn't know who he was but um you know he had referred to white privilege as a as a white blessing and again do your own research i haven't done enough to probably even like tell the story but he referenced the fact that like maybe slavery like created some blessings that we're not necessarily like talking about in terms of the foundation of this country and you know i felt really bad because the trending topic wasn't that pastor that said that it was lecrae black man for not defending it or not saying anything and even right before we're actually filming this i saw on instagram that like lecrae put out like a video did you watch it saying, i watched it right before I, we recorded yeah same here yeah. same here and it, but just even the fact that like he had to get out there and ap apologize for being in such an uncomfortable position that he didn't know what to say like just really i, don't know, I, I felt bad for him at the same time i i just thought about all the times in my life whether it be at work or personal life where i was not in a position to really light somebody up if you will like when somebody mm -hmm. says something incredibly dumb like that like that pastor did um i can think of times at work you know like i said i've I worked in hr and we've been in review boards talking about all these different people and i've been in front of my, my bosses colleagues everybody and somebody says something that has racial undertones in terms of why the person doesn't deserve a raise and i've had to bite my tongue or like figure out a different way to say it without saying like that was a racist yeah that i know was, right and like and not because nothing puts a white person on their back foot like that was right oh no of course not me exactly no yes and the only racism exists as a as an idea it's like out there somewhere mm -hmm. but it's not in here of course not mm -hmm. not me for sure don't put that on me quit making everything about race ryan for sure and it's, it's a lose-lose yeah. because if lecrae said what i'm sure he wanted to say because he's a very brilliant human being if he said what he probably wanted to say in that moment or like was quicker i'm sure he was probably off guard i think in that video he mentions that he was processing and caught off guard but then he looks bad because then he embarrassed and humiliated like a, a wealthy privileged white male in front of like a majority white audience so he loses there if he doesn't say anything he loses there and so many of us like it's, it's a lose-lose situation even in terms of this like i would imagine that i'm probably speaking to a majority of white people right now like me personally like the only thing that i have to gain or that we as a black culture have to gain is equality is the same rights that everybody else already has like that's all I have to gain from from this conversation. I'm doing this because I love you. I love Cornerstone. I love humanity. I love Jesus. And like, and I mean, quite frankly, Kevin, I'll talk to you anytime. I love, yeah. I just love talking to you, period. Um, but when you even just think of the baseline of why so many black people are showing up in like all these like white churches, it's because totally. there's so many people that are like, I don't, I don't know how to handle this. I don't, I don't know what to do. So black guy, what, what are your thoughts? and uh, yeah oh it's it's um it's it's a catch-22 for me because um because of that exact exact issue and again i i i go back to i'm not gonna say like what would jesus do but like i go back to you know why i'm here and i'm here because i want to be a part of 
a diverse church. I'm not here because I want to be the diverse member in the church because being diverse in oneself is not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so all of this, it just allows us to look at where we are um, as a community, as a culture. You know, you hit it head on, like black and black crime, sure it exists. White and crime, white and white crime also exists as well. Um, and again, it just, to me, it always seems like bad faith a little bit to just distract from the issue. So really yeah. put a mirror in front of ourselves as a country and as a people and say like, oh, we've done some really messed up things. It's fully, I'm rubber, you're glue. Lament. Exactly, exactly. And like, yeah. we really like need to lament um, all of this, feel all of this so we can move forward. This isn't something that's going to happen even in our lifetime, but we have to take steps to be able to make, uh, to make an impact. Yeah, dude. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, I know like so many other um, folks who have been thinking about these things, uh, whether you wanted to or not, for a lot longer than a lot of the rest of us, you're being pulled into, like you just talked about with the Cray, you're being pulled into situations and asked to lend your expertise and your perspective. Um, and in that process, there's pressure put on you to somehow speak for the totality of the black experience or translate the black experience for white folks in a way that's palatable, that they can hear it. That the way, Cause even what you were just saying earlier with that pastor, that whole, that whole uh, moment where he stepped in, it came out of him being af- kind of afraid to say the word white privilege. And so he was trying to think of a new way to say it that white people could hear it. And he, what he landed on was white blessing, which is problematic in the most obvious ways. I can't believe he missed, I can't believe that he missed. Blessing implies providence from God. How in the, anyway, we don't have to get down that, <laughs> but yeah. But what's, you know, even in what you were just talking about, it's like, um, I just, I just wanna say, I see you in, in the burden that you're carrying, not only just in your day-to-day life and like the, the story you told to our congregation during the weekend services and, walking in your own side door and hoping that nobody thinks you're breaking into your own house. Um, but the, specifically the burden that you're carrying in this moment, which is not only do I have to process my own emotional experience as I'm watching these videos, as I'm confronting these things in the skin that I'm in, but also I'm somehow still going to find it within me to like reach back and like pull some people along with me in a way that's, gracious and inviting without compromising the truth of what you're trying to to get across i just i can't i've i appreciate you so much i respect you so much i'm so grateful for you and your leadership on this and um really quick do you mind before we go um can you share for just like a minute or two if you feel comfortable about what you did after amon aubrey and Mm -hmm. and and maybe we can sort of leave it with that yeah, so I'll try to give a quick minute recap. Um, you know, when that when the video of Ahmaud Arbery, you know, being lynched, quite frankly, uh, when it got leaked, and again, like the the killing itself happened a couple months prior, but when the video got leaked, I felt such a sense of like that could have been me, easily 100%. could have been me. I am a jogger. I run through my neighborhood. I live in a predominantly white neighborhood, and if just the wrong people came across me and said like, "Hey, we want to stop and ask you some questions," and had shotguns, like there's not a chance that I'm going to stop and say like, yes, sir, let's, let's have a conversation with, you know, me and all Oh, a citizen's guys. arrest? Well, I respect your authority, please. Exactly. So like all of that just resonated, hit home with me. So I shared a story on just like my Instagram stories uh, talking about like why that 
why that story resonated with me. And, and that story in itself resonated with a lot of people. And I think because I could be, you know, could be wrong, but I think it's because there was a lot of people that look at me, look at my home, look, I have a good job, look at all these different things. And I think there was a section of people that thought that I had beat a lot of these issues. And again, hmm. I don't, you know, so then after that, since the story resonated with people, I was like, you know, how can I, how can I keep this going? Because again, this is poor George Floyd. So I knew that stories like this happen all the time. And I knew that my story shocked a lot of people. So I committed to 25 days of not only running, just like Ahmed Arbery did. Uh, so I would go out and run morning, night, whatever it was. And then I would post an image of my run along with a story of a different you know, black person who has been killed over the time. And actually I threw in a couple of white people in there too, because there's been a couple of white allies who've been murdered as mm -hmm. well for helping black causes. So anyway, I did that over the course of 24 days. And on the 25th day, I went on a 25 mile solidarity walk, um, you know, in, um, in remembrance of those who walked in Selma and in regards to the original 33 back in 1868, who were uh, black people expelled from Congress and then marched 25 miles to, to get their, their rights back, 12 of them were killed. Um, so I just wanted to do that and keep in mind on the 20th day is when George Floyd was killed. So by the time I did my walk, a lot of people thought that it was like took on this whole light. And I'm like, no, I've, I've been protesting this for 25 days because this, this experience that George Floyd has seen, like we've seen this our entire existence. Yeah, it was exhausting. I'm still drained. Um, I can't imagine. But yeah. And you were mixing, you were mixing you. stories like, you know, Emmett Till or whatever that are more historical stories mm -hmm. with this is this just happened two years ago or this just and then just mm -hmm. even the juxtaposition of going here's a story you maybe you've never heard about the Tulsa race mm -hmm. massacre maybe you've never heard about Rosewood or maybe you've never and and then also mm -hmm. maybe you've never heard about this thing that happened three years ago in mm -hmm. Detroit or wherever yeah. and I think that that was what was part of what was so jarring is it forces people to reconcile this isn't over we're not done with this and mm -hmm. yeah it was mm -hmm. so powerful yeah. and well, and I you. think I there were so that. many people I saw following along and um, maybe just on like one like slightly lighter note. Um, is there a way for folks that uh, you heard Ryan mention Yelp earlier? That's because Ryan, I'm sure I, Ryan and I've never talked about Yelp, but I assume it's informed by his experience as a small business owner. And can you can you give us a quick minute on Be Ice Cream or Be Nothing? And is there a way that folks watching this can like support what you guys are doing? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so actually, I, I own a business here in Vacaville called Be Ice Cream or Be Nothing. Um, started a couple of years ago just to- Which is a Parks and Rec reference, right? Just to be Oh clear. yeah, total, total Parks and Rec reference. It's my favorite show of all time. And um, also in part why I became a Parks and Rec commissioner in city of Vacaville, but that's a whole nother conversation. Love it. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I started a couple of years ago. Journey Coffee in Vacaville, they came to us back in 2017 um, and said like, hey, we'd love to start selling your ice cream in stores. Um, so we got a machine, brought it in stores. So we actually sell it at Journey Coffee in Vacaville and Fairfield to have it. Um, but then on top of that, you know, one of the things I'm really passionate about is teaching other people how to make ice cream. So me and my three-year-old daughter, since she was one and a half, we've actually been posting videos on YouTube and on Instagram um, of tutorials teaching people how to make ice cream. So we've been able to Just a to reminder, see if you look directly at the camera while Reagan's on it, you can go blind. That's how cute <laughs> she is. Okay, go ahead. You need, you need those like, uh, you need those eclipse glasses to look at your phone. Oh. And she is so funny, just so unbelievably funny. So um, for me, it's just been so much fun as a dad to be able to experience some of these memories. And now Sienna, like she just turned one, so she'll probably get into it. 
um, soon. And for me, it's just a way for us to create memories. Um, and I always say that like, you know, our entire mission is to encourage other families, especially dads to get in the kitchen, make some memories with, with their kids. Um, so that's a huge part. So in terms of how you could support, if you're in Vacaville, Fairfield, come on by Journey, get some, uh, get some ice cream. Uh, but honestly, the easiest way is just find us on YouTube, subscribe, find us on Instagram, engage with our content. Um, I really just want to be able to reach other families to just encourage, especially dads, to just just create memories, especially in the kitchen with their kids, because it's such a, an impressive way. It's such an incredible way for them to um, be able to grow up with these memories in the kitchen. So that's, that's who we are. Yeah. You're the best, dude. I really appreciate Thanks, you. Thanks for being a part of this. I appreciate you. Anytime. Anytime. Talk to you soon. Go Pacers. All right. You got it. <laughs> go hey, Warriors Pacers. are out, bro. I'll just, I'm fully in on the Pacers. Let's go. Right on. Let's do it. Let's do it. We'll see. <laughs> All right. All right. See you, buddy. Take care. <laughs>